It is a Labor Day edition of Unfucked, your favorite podcast, whether you know it or not. I'm Gunner, and I am joined by Laugh, Laugh, Happy Labor Day. Hey, Labor Day. That's that right. That means most normal folks don't have to work, but uh, then some of us do. That's right. Well, someone's got to work. I mean, the world stops turning, right? So here, both you and I are working. Uh, outside of our day jobs, you know, we were talking off air that this podcast is a full-time job in and of itself. And you have to practice law and I have my marketing gig. I try uh, in line with the spirit of Labor Day, right? That's right. Um, so you sent me a laugh an article, um, before we started recording and let me get the source here. It's the guardian and the title is tired of trickle down economics. Biden calls for expansion of unions in Labor Day speech. I, I haven't seen this speech and I, I'm sure you have. So um, I'll let you expound. Uh, well, I actually haven't seen the speech, but I, I did read the article and, and you know, it, it sort of lines up with some of the core premises of things we've been talking about of uh, how, well, of course, my generation and and your generation are probably irretrievably fucked by the notion of trickle-down economics, which yes. really is, uh, you know, a farce and more or less been proven to be a farce. Uh, the idea that you cut the taxes on the rich and some of their largesse will fall out of their pockets and, you know, hit the floor and jingle around so that the rats scramble around for crumbs might find a coin. Uh, hmm. that's sort of trickle down economics in a nutshell. If you understand that everybody else is the rats and the rich are just walking around doing what the hell they want. Right. So, uh, trickle down e- economics, very, very bad. <laughs> okay. Labor unions, very, very good. Uh, you know, labor has been under organized attack, much like lawyers, uh, by business and corporate America for a long time in this country. And a lot of people have fallen for this idea that uh, labor unions are somehow terrible. Uh, much like we've talked about before, the notion of lawsuits and, and uh, you know, student loans being non-dischargeable. This is another area where corporate America has made great inroads in convincing people that, uh, you know, something that's arguably the, the, the best thing for workers in the economy isn't actually a negative, Right. Right. You know, labor unions, what do they do? Well, in theory, what they do is they negotiate uh, a 40-hour work week. That's something that labor gave us, which for those of you who don't math well, it basically means that uh, out of your five-day work week, you're committing one-third of your time to work, which in theory allows you to have one-third of your time to yourself and one-third of your time for sleep that you need to function well. At least that was the theory early on. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, nowadays, most of us are familiar with the idea of working from, you know, can to can't. In other words, working from the time you fall out of bed in the morning until the time you pass out from exhaustion, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're self-employed. That's a pretty common way to work. Um, You know, labor had the mindset... uh, and this really goes back to the time of the New Deal and the Depression that, you know, uh, working people needed to have a say in how much they worked 
the, the safety of the environment in which they worked, the skills that were needed to correctly do the work, and then fair pay for the work that was performed. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things are things that corporate America opposes, by the way. You know, I'm, I increasingly believe that uh, th- there's an element in um, the people who control the world that is uh, really committed to a class system, if that makes sense. And I, I, I think um, if you try to step out of the class, like if you're born in poverty, uh, they kind of want you to stay in poverty if you're born lower middle class, which I guess I was. I don't know. Poverty and lower middle class. I'm right there. But uh, I, yeah, there's there's, there's a very fine line that is that really there may not be a dime's worth of difference between those two terms. Right. Honestly. But I think I think there are elements that kind of want us to stay there. It, there's no doubt that the elements that wish to gain at everyone else's expense who do not believe that that there's technically enough to go around and who are definitely opposed to the idea of paying taxes on the the coupons they're clipping for interest payments from their trust funds. Um, Those folks uh, are the ones who are spending literal fuck tons of money uh, lobbying Washington to uh, influence legislators against anything that might be remotely considered to be uh, pro-worker, pro-consumer, period. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned at all, too? Because I, I, I watched a uh, documentary the other night about the mafia and how they controlled unions for a while. And I'm not saying that's happening now, but I'm, I'm saying there's some... There's <laughs> well, there's not enough unions for them to control. <laughs> no, that's true. That's, that's true. Thing. <laughs> well, uh, you know, when problem. we talk about unions, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, there's always been that narrative and that's been one of the major tools that have been used to... Uh, argue against unions. It's this idea that somehow, you know, five little Italian grandfathers from Sicily, you know, run all the unions in America or some horseshit like that. Um, Really not true. Am I saying that all unions are inherently good? Uh, No. Am I saying that all unions are inherently bad? No. Am I saying that all leaders of unions are either inherently good or bad? Uh, No. Corruption manifests everywhere. You need to look no further than the realm of politics to see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you know, I mean, if you talk about something run by a mafia, well, we what do we define the mafia as a sort of secret group, small group of people with undue influence? Well, there you go. Yeah. What does that sound like? Uh, yeah, the government. Uh, How about the rich people? mafia? Yeah. What do they run? Everything. Mm. Uh, you know, they may not be committed to putting guns to people's heads and pulling triggers, literally, but they are committed to the mechanisms of putting economic guns in people's hands and pulling the trigger repeatedly. Right. So, yeah. you know, the idea that mafia is a major concern, uh, I, I, I don't have enough experience with mafia to know. Um, I, you know. Obviously, I work in the Northeast and work in the Midwest, but never really uh, experienced that. 
any real scale. Not saying it doesn't exist. I think it probably um, existed more in the past than it does now. I just happened to watch that documentary and I'm, I thought it, you know, they, they talked a lot about unions and I'm interesting. Yeah. And then there's Uh, certainly, certainly a lot of, you know, historical analogs where that seems to have been an issue. There was of course, always the rumor that uh, Jimmy Hoffa was uh, a mafia guy and of course went missing. No one's ever found him again. Um, Okay, uh, there's there's been all other kinds of stories about the mafia having some involvement in unions. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I, I wouldn't rather deal with the mafia than the mafia of <laughs> the rich. I mean, honestly. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I just I just say that as uh, being the devil's advocate, but um, the benefits of a union. Um, and of course, it would have to be organized. And you would like, for example, I have a lot of um, uh, um, experience in the radio industry. There was no radio union. I don't know if there ever could be. There, there's also no restaurant union that I'm aware of. Um, and 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 the- actually, there is a a, a a union that covers restaurant workers. That's uh, still has a little membership in the Northeast. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but uh, it escapes me. But there is one that covers uh, some of those jobs in the some of the larger northern cities, but certainly nothing in the South. Right. And I, I suppose if anyone uh, in, in where we are in our great state uh, tried to uh, join one of those unions, there would be reprisal. I don't know how you could possibly do that. Right. You know, um, I, I had a personal experience with this when I was a kid. I had a relative whose husband tried to get involved in organizing a textile mill and uh, management sicked a guy who was um, well-versed in martial arts on the guy and beat him really badly um, outside the clock-in, clock-out gate during a shift change um, at the textile mill. And the the inherent message, which, uh, you know, the guy himself, uh, I think his motivations for wanting to be involved in organization were, were decent, but he was on the whole kind of a piece of shit dude but he understood the idea that working for minimum wage and having no rights wasn't a very good thing either uh, but the, the union the management uh, picked him to make an example of and, and I remember the aftermath of that seemed like I was I walked with a cane had several broken bones um, spoke with slurred speech so there's a real cost to people you know, to try to stand up to, to management, um, management takes no prisoners. Uh, they will say and do just about anything to keep uh, union elements out of their workforce. Um, I think someone, maybe Robert Reich, recently noted that uh, Amazon had spent a, a significant amount of money on consultants who were anti-union consultants to try to avoid uh, unions successfully organizing in a couple of their warehouses during the past year. Um, mm. So it, it, it's a major, it's a real thing. I mean, it, it's, it's a real thing. People are 
sometimes killed, sometimes maimed in, in an effort to try to organize a union. Which, which goes back to your earlier points. It's like, what's worse, the mafia running it or, um, or that? It's, anyway, I, I don't know. It's fascinating to me. You know, Lap, half, half of these podcasts are really you just kind of giving me free college. Um, <laughs> and I appreciate that. I benefit from that. So thank you. Um, and, and, and I'll go back to the article if I can get back to it to, to see kind of what Biden's point really was, especially, let's see, this happened in Milwaukee, apparently. Um, yeah, Milwaukee, a uh, relatively pro-labor area, um, you know, part of the Chicago megaplex, uh, even though Milwaukee is obviously its own city, but, you know, sort of megaplex sort of runs from over around Milwaukee all the way around through Chicago over into uh you know, places like Gary, Indiana, and, and even all the way over into northern Ohio, um, that right. Great Lakes area. Uh, very uh, historically, very union oriented. Um, and of course, you know, we had uh, automobile manufacturers, unions, et cetera. And, and the thing that you saw with those things is that um, you notice it in our country now um, in the South. You know, it's been a, a great uh, surge of manufacturing automobiles in the South. Yes. And, uh, you know, I know a huge point in that has been the anti-union stance of Southern governments, which, you know, uh, a lot of those governments were pro-slavery as well. <laughs> I had no problem with people working uh, for nothing or sustenance wages. Um and uh, you know those those governments supported slavery, and they support a modern equivalent, which is sustenance wages and and versus you know living wages. So uh, not a surprise that at the end of the day, I mean, you would have a lot of uh, car manufacturers want to locate in places that were union hostile, right? Oh, it makes total sense. Are you at all concerned um, as far as uh, being competitive in the uh, international marketplace that uh, people can, I mean, you're exactly right. They'll take advantage of their population to produce goods. Uh, do you think people can beat us in that and that our economy could suffer because of it? Does that make sense? Um. Yes, I mean, there's always people talk about the cost of, of um, you know, uh, more expensive workforce, uh, uh, more organized workforce. Um, and, you know, uh, I think I've advocated on at least one prior show that one way to demonstrate the viability of those types of operations is to support more employee-owned businesses where, um, you know, the employees collectively own the business and you don't have uh, the jet setting CEO flying around the country to his 48 houses and 23 yachts and, you know, his different jet for every day of the week. Um, right. You, you know, uh, and not having necessarily public shareholders. We, we've seen, we talked about this in one of the earlier shows that uh, a lot of times, 
employee-owned businesses do very well. I know um, personally in Chicago, uh, one of the major grocery chains up there is employee-owned. I would say it's arguably, at least in, in my knowledge, regionally the most popular grocery chain in that part of the world. And I'm told that in Texas, HEB is an employee-owned um, grocery conglomerate, which is, uh, you know, many, many billions of dollars a year in business and profits, from what I understand. I haven't really taken that apart yet, but there are a number of employee-owned businesses. Um, and I do think that um, one check on the raw corporate power would be to create a level of employee ownership and employee management, self-management to some degree. Um, and you know, I've seen it repeatedly. I don't know what your experience has been, but I, I mean, I've seen repeatedly where the economic policies uh, line up with taking care of workers and giving them proper profit incentives uh, giving them reasonable goals to succeed, that those types of businesses thrive, usually with fewer employees who are more productive and who are happier than businesses that just want to hire as many minimum wage people as they can and just throw them at problems, right? Right. Well, uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It, it, it also requires responsible leaders uh, to to initiate that sort of thing. It's it's breaking a class system um, that has always existed in this country, um, despite what we tell ourselves. I mean, there was always the upper class, the the. I, I, I don't know at the inception um, of our country that there was a middle class. There was probably just everyone who had everything and everyone who just enjoyed the land and there, being left alone. There was the landed and the unlanded. Right. Oh, okay. Pretty much. That was uh, those who owned land and those who did not uh, were pretty much the core of the, the central foundations of our earliest history. Um and obviously, the landed had much more control, especially in uh, the non-New England and New York area. So anything sort of south of that, where there were vast tracts of land, the landed held great sway. Um, when you eliminated the major metropolis areas in the beginnings of industrialization, you effectively gave power to a bourbon class of, of landed gentry that sort of became uh, similar to the what we would call the fiefdoms from old England. You know, everybody owned these fast tracks of land and sort of set their own rules within the general notion of English common law. And uh, it, was, it was very, uh, very stilted, obviously in favor of wealthy and landed, right? 
It's fascinating uh, because if, if we think about that period of time, I mean, at, at the most, and I think I'm being generous saying that it was 300 years ago, it, 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 it really was less, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so we're not that far removed from that system. Um, no, and, and, you know, this is the part a lot of people miss. Uh the Great Depression in this country began in the late 20s and basically wasn't fully resolved until, you know, World War II came along and required full mobilization of our country. But, you know, the, the FDR New Deal programs, which was basically the federal government putting a vast majority of America on the payroll so that people would just have jobs and the ability to buy food and eat. Um, that came from the excesses of capitalism in the sense of unbridled, unregulated capitalism will eventually destroy its own self mm. just by concentration of too much wealth and power in too few hands and they will do things very much like what happened in the 2008 financial crisis where they will come up with all these new and inventive ways to fuck each other until they collapse the entire system and you know that's sort of what happened at the beginning of the Great Depression with the run on the banks and, and everything else that happened there and the disappearance of credit markets and the disappearance of liquidity. Um, and so literally we went from a functioning economy to nuclear obliteration of an economy almost overnight. Right. And so, you know, FDR's programs basically, like I say, put a vast majority of Americans to work. And a lot of those people were people who thought they were pretty well off right up to when the economy went to shit, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that alphabet super programs from the 30s created a commonality uh, of purpose where everybody was trying to dig out this same shithole together. Um, and then, of course, World War II came along and created even more cohesion among the country because we were in a fight for our survival all across the world, you know, we had a, a, the front in the Pacific and we had the European front and we were fighting existential threats at a time when we were not the world's dominant superpower. And, you know, coming out of that war, we had the baby boomer generation who has yet to understand that the unity and cohesion that came out of World War II as reflected by government policy exploded the middle class in America, exploded the wealth of that generation. Yeah. And as the Reagan tax cuts kicked in and this trickle-down economics became the Republican dogma, um, we have stilted back towards the us versus them idea of economy. Right? Yeah. And that's a, you know, you're bringing a hundred years together in 30 seconds, but in a nutshell, that's the sort of the big picture of what's happened. And, and a lot of the people that follow the dearly departed president, Mr. Trump, 
who are so angry right now and who are so certain that there's something wrong. This is what's wrong. You just haven't understood it. You have a right to be angry, just angry at the wrong thing. I, I, I think that um, segment of, uh, of the, uh, the right-leaning population in our country, which I am right-leaning, yeah, you know, I am. But I, I think that's a reaction. Right or wrong, there was a perceived cultural attack on the right, which maybe should have been, maybe shouldn't have been. Maybe there's some parts of, uh, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I think the, the left pushed a button in the right, and the right is just so determined to win. It, it really is like college football. It's like if, if you're an Alabama fan, fuck Georgia, right? Yeah, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much better one program may be over the other. It doesn't matter the facts, right? Fuck them. <laughs> and that's, that's just where we got. And I, I don't know who pulled that trigger first really but uh i think the problem is is that the trigger is being pulled over and over again on a daily basis it's being pulled by the political class and it's being pulled by uh the use of social media to drive these arguments and, and in effect create a mental disconnect where there is no um ground for factual discussion right um, we don't have a common ground to talk about facts because one side doesn't recognize what the other is talking about. It's so that, far apart. Yeah. Well, that, that's the, the, the present danger is that, um, you know, if you flip it over to the right leaning news sources, they're talking about a world that I don't recognize that I don't believe exists. But, but if, you, if you were to get them to turn on to, you know, uh, other sources of news that are not those, they would uh, scream fake news, fake news, and throw a rock at the TV because what they saw and heard, they didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. And how do you fix that? I mean, and I have people in my own family that are still big Trump people. And I'm not going to say anything about Trump that's disparaging. I mean, he just is what he is. He's a reality show star. He's uh, he's the the, the problem, I think, with the the scenario, the present scenario is, is that so much of the anger comes from the uncertainty in both camps. And that uncertainty is driven by economic insecurity in both mm-hmm. camps. Because remember, the, the, the people who are truly making the decision in this country are, are not your 435 uh, you know, elected legislators It's uh, in the House of Representatives, not your 100 senators. It's the people who run them, who run the lobbyist army, who run them. And that is a much, much, much smaller group of people. And because we have allowed the tax code to be perverted by, uh, you know, trickle-down economics, those people have billions of dollars to spend to challenge politics in this country. Um, 
you know, just last in the last week, we saw where this uh, billionaire from Chicago, who's right leaning, had wheeled his interest in his business to a trust and appointed this gentleman who has been in charge of appointing uh, Republican judges, recommending Republican judges for Republican presidents now for about a dozen or so years. Um, and put him as the trustee of that trust so that he can take all the gain from the sale of his empire and use that gain, which is like $1.6 billion in this political fight to elect judges who have a certain philosophical bent where there are elections and then to appoint judges who have a certain philosophical bent in the federal courts where they have lifetime appointments. And so that should be terrifying to most people that someone was willing to put more than a billion and a half dollars into controlling the judiciary, Mm -hmm. which is a, a body that should always be willing to act based on the rule of law. Um, well, it's it's the uh, final check and balance, right? And so you know, and it's it's the idea of our our democracy. Although it is a republic, and I know that, but um, right. Well, at the end of the day, you know, we we operate off a system, and even the, the super rich understand that they've been the beneficiaries of a system that they, to a great extent, have crafted and molded in their image and on their agenda. And that is very much why they want to fight against the idea of living wages, organized labor and safety and limited work weeks. Um, I've heard some of these people complain about the idea of having a, a limited work week with time off. Um, I actually heard one of these people speaking one time talking about how they uh, didn't understand why the U.S. wasn't more like China, where these big companies were building these plants and they had employee barracks where parents would, you know, and in medical facilities where the parents would like have their children and raise their children as employees of this plant within the confines of this plant's grounds and they would provide them food and medicine and housing in exchange the husband and wife were working seven days a week 12 hours a day and they were on alternating shifts essentially um and well, that so, sounds a whole lot like slave quarters. Uh, yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? It, it sure does. Uh, and, and that was what, what I found incredibly interesting was that, um, you know, they were trumpeting the idea that they had no restrictions on their hours of work, no restrictions on their rights to discharge people, no restrictions, no obligations for safety. Um, they They... You know, they're paying these people the equivalent of about a hundred dollars U.S. a week at that time, um, and I, you know, I obviously was appalled by what I was hearing, 
but this was being trumpeted as why the U.S. could not compete with some of these foreign countries for, you know, production of certain types of products. Well, here's the deal, though, and and, ha- and not to interrupt, but having worked in offices that demand that you be there, you know, 7.30 to 4, whatever the case may be, you just have to be present in the building. It, being present in the building doesn't mean you're doing anything. Like, it's it's not actually efficient because a lot can be done in three hours. And if you finish your job in three hours, then I go home or find something else to do that you are compensated for as well. But I, I just don't think this idea is efficient. It, it doesn't make the best use of resources. Well, I, I agree. Um, I think that one of the things that, that is in this inherent in this mindset is, you know, this idea of class warfare that the people who are in the working class have no value. They are little more than livestock. Sure. And so they are expendable and replaceable. And um, that's it. It, it. You know that that's the sort of idea. Um, you know, in my own life, I, one of my first jobs was um, bussing tables. And, you know, on a Sunday, I was asked one time to change the grease in the fat fryer. And, um, you know, to change the grease in the fat fryer, you have to pull up this metal element out of the hot grease and you have to pull it back to where it little spring kicks down and it kicks into place to stop it from falling. Mm-hmm. And then once it kicks into place and locks in, then you can let go. Right. And then it will hold up in theory. Um, yeah. No one ever taught me how to do that. The first time I ever tried to do it, I pulled the element out, was told to use a metal fork. Oh, not a metal fork, but a metal spoon, the hook on the opposite end of the scooping end of a big, metal spool like an industrial spoon pulled it back as far as I could thought that it was safe to let go um, the saw the little leg kick down didn't realize that it did not lock let that spoon go and as soon as that spoon's extra tension was taken off that leg collapsed and that thing comes down and splashes hot grease in my face and on my body Hmm. And I'm, you know, this course is little old African American ladies that, like your grandmother, back behind you, you know, they jumped in, wet towels on my face and stuff, and you know, trying to help me. And the man who owns this restaurant, uh, you know, comes to the window. What's going on back there? And one lady said, "He, you know, Mister So and So, he." Uh, element fell and the grease splattered his face and you know he's burnt we don't know how bad yet well <laughs> he was he just launches into a tirade of profanity I guess I'm just going to get sued now by whom that was all he was worried about was he was going to get sued because I got hurt on the job 
And bear in mind, he was still wearing his Sunday suit and tie when he'd come from church. Oh, they always always come from Um, church. You know, having worked in restaurants for so long, like the the day everyone who works in a restaurant dreads the most is Sunday. Because as soon as those folks leave church, their ultimate goal is to go terrorize the restaurant industry. Ask anyone who's ever worked in a restaurant, like you make the least amount of money and you're treated like the most shit by people who, and I, I'm a, I'm a devout believer in Christ myself, but these people are fucking awful. Exactly. Uh, And, and they should. That was what, that was what took me. The thing I've never forgotten about that story. The thing that always stood out was how this man was always, you know, quote-unquote, preaching to everybody coming through the door. It was always, God bless you this, God bless you that, and Jesus loves you, and let me pray for you, and all this other stuff. The first time he thought that there was a possible impact to his wallet, oh, he was, you know, GD this and GD that, and F this and F that, over a 16-year-old kid, his face was burnt. Right. It wasn't, is he okay? It wasn't, is he going to be all right? It wasn't, let me come take a look at this, son. Oh, gee, if you that, I'm going to get sued. Again, I would say by whom. And and also, we're running out of time, so I can't even ask the question. But I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this for... for um, for you something to think about because I'm, I'm somewhat educated in the insurance business, uh, like workers comp. Do you have opinions on that? Because I kind of think it's bullshit. Um, so I can, I can explain to you one day the workers comp system, there it's supposed to do. Um, but it's, uh, it, it does a very poor job of what it's supposed to do. It's, it's an insurance bad. policy for, for like the, it's a government. All right. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll have our own thing about that. We'll have a whole show. About <laughs> I would love day. to do that because I've been learning more and more and I'm like, ain't this some bullshit. Um, <laughs> Which is what, unfortunately, <laughs> most injured workers find out as soon as they uh, actually get hurt. That's yeah. the sad part. Well, I've been fortunate. I've been hurt on the job, but I was, uh, uh, when, when I was hurt, I was employed by good people that, and I wasn't severely hurt, you know, just stitches here, here or there, you know, stop the bleeding. God forbid I'd lose a limb. I, I don't know. But come to find out if I lose a limb, uh, through workers comp, my arm is worth about a quarter of a million dollars, period. That's all it's worth. And I'll, uh, then I'll, I'll be honest with you. In my experience, that sounds high. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And 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 I might get fifty. I might get fifty out of it. And in a lot of states, you you know, ten or fifty. You know, uh, this state where I'm again, my career practicing law, you you could barely get turned fifty if you were permanently and totally disabled from work for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, quarter of a million dollars for the rest of your life, and then you pay your lawyers out of it, right? So. Yeah, even even at the reduced amounts, you're still paying your lawyers. And the, and the bottom line is, you you wouldn't even get that if you didn't have great lawyers. That's the scary part about it. 
it's all so fucked up. Anyway, I wish we weren't against the clock here because, again, I learn so much every time. Uh, I think we solved a lot of problems here, and as always, we we made people feel better, (laughs) which is what we're here for. We're literally a fucking clown show of entertainment. That's right. Just nothing but joy and balloons and fucking happy places. Balloons, sparklers, and you know, whistles and whatever. Yeah. So we appreciate you tuning in to Unfucked. Uh, Laugh and I were talking off air. We're really about to ramp up some stuff. I mean, a podcast is is a big endeavor, right? So, and and we have day jobs, uh, but. Um, websites and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, all of that is coming. Um, as as it, it, would you say that's uh, okay thing to say there, left? Yeah. Well, we're we're out in the Twitter sphere, knocking mm-hmm. and beating and stirring up noise here and there, commenting where we can, uh, and hopefully we'll be doing a better job of talking about. Well, we do talk about uh, getting the word out there as well. So, uh, but yeah, we're out there knocking around the Twitterverse, trying to cause commotion and create a ruckus where we can. That's what we're doing. And uh, the podcast is available wherever you get your podcast with uh, still the exclusion of Pandora, who continues to be a bit of a son of a bitch. But um, <laughs> everywhere else, <laughs> things are good. We might, we might start start talking about fuck Pandora here before long. <laughs> well, you know, we treat I mean, them like, a, like an opposing SEC school. Right? They have the, la- they have the <laughs> smallest audience too i don't know why like uh, anyway i i, I i'm not gonna make an enemy of pandora um but we digress right i digress uh uh title of the episode i guess i don't know um how about a labor day thank you a labor day thank you a message for those who labor uh i like it uh i'm gunner and that is laugh and i'm gonna let laugh take us out we always appreciate everybody coming and listening to us and we look forward to next week's episode unfucked.com and wherever you get your podcast